Thank you for joining us today. You may be seated. Here we are, guys. We are gathered here today to join together in marriage, Aaron and Kylie. Aaron and Kylie, today is a sign of your love. Marriage is a beautiful bond. It's the union of two people who are filing taxes separately, but will now file together (laughs) as one. To symbolize this special bond, you will give away a ring that you most certainly put on a credit card. (laughs) This ring is an infinite circle, and it symbolizes the never-ending difficulties and pain and struggles and challenges that lie ahead of you both. The vows you are about to take are serious and should be taken with great caution. Aaron, do you have the ring? I do. Aaron, face your bride and place the ring on her finger and repeat this after me. I, Aaron. I, Aaron. Take you, Kylie. Take you, Kylie. To be my lawfully wedded starter wife. To be my lawfully wedded starter wife. For better and better. For better and better. For richer as we get into debt. For richer as we get into debt. As long as you stay skinny. As long as you stay skinny. It's good. It's special. It's special. I promise to yell at you. I promise to yell at you. To ignore and neglect you. To ignore and neglect you. Especially during the big game. Especially during the big game. And to compare you with other women. And to compare you with other women. From this day forward. From this day forward. I promise to be faithful to you. I promise to be faithful to you. Until I convince the girl at work to sleep with me. Until I convince the girl at work to sleep with me. (laughs) I get so choked up with these things. Till divorce do us part. Till divorce do us part. Kylie, do you have your ring? Kylie, place the ring on the groom's finger and please repeat after me. I, Kylie. I, Kylie. Take you, Aaron. Take you, Aaron. To be my lawfully wedded starter husband. To be my lawfully wedded starter husband. From this day forward. From this day forward. As we try this out for a little while. As we try this out for a little while. To join with you. To join with you. As long as I can manipulate you. As long as I can manipulate you. To demean you. To demean you. To tear you down in front of my friends. To tear you down in front of my friends. And to use sex as leverage. And to use sex as leverage. I promise to be faithful to you. I promise to be faithful to you. As long as you make a ton of money. As long as you make a ton of money. I am completely yours. I am completely yours. Some of the time. Some of the time. Till divorce do us part. Till divorce do us part. Great job, guys. Aaron and Kyle, you've made this commitment today, hoping that you'd be one of the lucky couples in which their marriage actually works out, that you'd be able to tolerate each other for a lifetime. (laughs) And I admire your ambition. (laughs) And as witnesses here, we're honored to share in this special moment with you. And we wish you the best of luck, even though your chances are right around 50-50 and actually less now. Aaron and Kylie, because of the promises you have made today, I'm proud to pronounce you husband and wife for now. Aaron, you may kiss your bride.
Thanks for being here today at Solace Church. We're starting a new series, as you can tell, called No Matter What, and we're excited that you chose to be here today. I'll tell you more about the series in just a moment, but first, if you're a guest visiting with us at Solace, man, we're honored to have you here as we begin this new series. If you're watching online at solacechurch.com, thanks for being a part of our online community. And we say this often, but we want to we want to just invite you here to our campus uh, as soon as you can make it here. While we we're glad to be able to offer online services, we recognize it's no replacement for being connected to the local body of believers. Uh, uh, on a regular basis, so we can't wait to see you here as soon as you can make it back. Um, This series is going to be a really cool series for our church. Um, This whole month, we're going to be talking about priority relationships. Today, as you can tell, we're going to be talking about marriage. Next week, we're going to talk about the relationship between uh, the parents and children, and we're going to talk after that about friendships, that uh, sometimes don't work out the way that we want them to. And then ultimately, we're going to look at our relationship with God and understand what it looks like to live in relationships in all of these ways, to live in relationships with the kind of love that says no matter what. Let me give you uh, an idea of how this series came to be at our church. My wife and I, um, are I've been married 15 years, and one of the things that my wife has done here recently, matter of fact, just this last year, is she decided, since my love language, one of my love languages, is words of affirmation. That is to say, I need to be affirmed. I need her to speak life into me and to believe into me, in me and to share that with me. Because I need that from her, she decided to buy a framed mirror. And she placed it in our bathroom where I get ready at my counter. And on that mirror, she would write specific things that she really appreciated about me or was proud of that I have accomplished. And the phrase that she used was, I love you because, and then it said dot, dot, dot. And then there was a line that was drawn. And then underneath that, she would write those specific things that she was thankful for or proud of. Well, so she did this for me and I would look at it and I would read it. But for some reason, it didn't register. It didn't have much of an impact at all. And I actually was, was really perplexed by this. I thought, man, she's gone through all this work to, to buy this, to come up with some saying, some phrase, some sentence that I would appreciate, that she would, you know, that she would be able to, to give to me. But for some reason, it just fell flat. And I couldn't figure out why. So I kept looking at it and thinking about it. And she would continue to write. And I just would say, you know, thank you. But there wasn't a whole lot going on in my heart because of that. And finally, it hit me. I realized what was, what, was, what was not exactly right about this, this picture. Now, you can, you can think, man, you're, you're ridiculous. That's great that your wife is doing that. Come on, man, get with the program. What's the problem, right? This is a big deal. But I, I just came to the conclusion, I realized what was wrong or missing. And so one night as we were doing our pillow talk, which we do on a regular basis, I, I told her, we were in a conversation, I said, hey, I really appreciate that you gave me this framed mirror and you write things on it. But, but there's something off just a little bit. I said, you wrote, I love you because, dot, dot, dot. And then you wrote the reasons why below it. And I don't know if it was conscious or subconscious, but it got me to thinking, what if the things below the line change? Will you still love me? Now, was her intention to communicate a conditional love in that? Of course not. She was trying to fill my love tank. She was trying to demonstrate how much she loves me. But what I received from that is, if the things below the line change changes, then the thing above the line is going to change as well. And so she changed the verbiage. You'll never guess what she changed it to. I love you no matter 
lot. And then she wrote a line, and then below that, she continued to write things that were speaking life into me. It was huge for me to see that from her. This series is based on not a conditional kind of love that says, I love you because, but rather a series that says, as Christ followers, one of the great pictures of Christianity is a love that says no matter what. And so today I want to talk to you about this kind of no matter what kind of love in relationship to your marriage. Now, we're going to study some scripture together in just a moment, but before we get there, I want us to go through an exercise together. Now, this exercise, you need to do under your breath or in your mind silently. Because if you say it out loud, you might not be able to have uh, the ability to, to engage in the rest of the message, okay? So just, just answer the question to yourself in your own mind. I want to ask you this question to start with. How do I view my spouse? How I view my spouse. I, wanna, I want you to think about this. How, right now, this snapshot moment, how I view the person that I'm married to. Now, stop for a moment. I'll give you a chance to think about that. I'm going to give you some options in just a moment. If you're here today and you are not married, you are single, you're going to want to check out. But I want to encourage you not to because this may be the most important message you hear on marriage your entire life. And it's not because I'm good. The text we're going to look at is one of the best texts in all of Scripture that deals with marriage. All right. So let's think about how you view your spouse, how I view my spouse. Number one, maybe you're in this camp. I love you and I like you. This marriage is aligned very well. It is that I am committed to the covenant of relationship And not only am I passionate about being with you in terms of the covenant of marriage, I also like being around you. Like, you're my best friend, and there's no one else on the planet that I would want to be with than you. Like, I have other relationships, and that's great, but I love, I really like you, and I like spending time with you. This is a great place to be. Second, I love you, but I don't like you. This person or this couple, they are still committed to the relationship. They love one another. They're just going through a season for some reason where they don't necessarily like each other right now. There are seasons in every marriage relationship where one spouse or maybe both begin to participate in activities or certain behaviors that are unproductive and costly to the relationship. So while you still may be committed to the relationship, you just don't like what's going on in the, in, in the behavior and patterns of someone else. This is, this is real life. This is where we end sometimes in our life. Third, I like you, but I don't love you. In this relationship, the marriage turns civil, but it loses intimacy. In this relationship, it says, hey, I like you. You're a good enough person. My, you, you know, we have kids together or whatever. You know, the history we have together is great. And you have a, you know, you're just fine. I love the fact that you're a Christian and I'm a Christian. But we like each other, but the passion's gone. The, the, the desire to be committed in terms of intimacy and, and, and uh, the, the, the relational strain in terms of the condition of the heart begins to suffer. And so we're civil, but my heart's not there right now. Some of you may have found yourself there. Fourth, <laughs> I don't like you, and I don't love you. We've reached a place in our relationship where I don't like being around you, and my heart's not in it either. We are, 
we are still in terms of the, in the eyes of the government and God, we're still married, but there's nothing more to the relationship. We're just simply existing in the home at the same time. So, not out loud, to yourself, which one represents your relationship? There's no question that this relationship is best aligned. I love you and I like you. If you're here today and you fall into any of these other categories, this message is really important for you to hear. If you find yourself in this first category, you can just kind of just, just roll with me and say, yes, right on, right on, right on. We used to call that Amen. Thank you. <clears throat> so let's go to scripture together. Because the authority voice is going to speak on marriage. Your creator and mine, the word who became flesh, is going to speak about our marriage relationships. So Matthew chapter 19 is where I want you to look with me. If you have your Bibles, turn there with me. If you're using a digital device, check in at Solace Church on Facebook. And then turn over to Matthew 19. So in verse number 1 of chapter 19, Jesus is finishing up teaching You're welcome to read the context in chapter 18 and on into 20 as well. But when Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went to the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Now, Matthew's giving us some geography. It's not necessarily important for our conversation today, but he sets the scene by telling us where Jesus is when this this conversation unfolds. In verse number 2, large crowds followed him and he healed them there. So there's a large crowd of people. Many thousands of people are there to hear Jesus. He heals them. And oftentimes you will see Jesus performing miracles. So he's able to give a teaching opportunity as well. He's going to perform the miracles as a sign of of, of him being the Messiah. And then he's going to teach them and help set straight some things that might be off in their thinking. Verse number three. Some Pharisees, these are teachers of the law, religious leaders of the first century uh, Jewish community, came came to him to test him. They often tried to test Jesus. One of the things that happens over and over again in the first century is that Jesus, who is now rising in prominence in the Jewish community, is now someone who's gathered or garnered the attention of the religious leaders, the political systems in the first century, and they want to see if this guy's legit. And so they ask, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now, this question is a very critical question that they asked Jesus. And the reason why it's critical is because this was a hotly debated conversation in the first century in Jewish community. There were actually a couple of schools of thought. There are probably more than two, but two prominent schools of thought in the first century as it relates to why someone would be able to divorce. Hillel, a Jewish rabbi and scholar, had a a thought, and Shammai, a Jewish rabbi and scholar, had also an uh, an ideology or dogma as well. Hillel taught that a man could divorce his wife for any and every reason if he didn't find favor in her. 
So, so in the Jewish community, there was a school of thought that said, if you don't like what your wife is doing right now, you can divorce her. You can put her away. You don't even have to have a very good reason to divorce her. If things aren't going well right now, you can just divorce her. This was the idea of marriage based on convenience. So long as you're convenient to me and it's convenient to stay, I'll stay. Shammai, who was also a scholar, taught, no, that's not the case, but rather the only permissible reason for divorce in the Jewish community was adultery. That if there was this sexual sin of adultery, then you would be released from the bond of marriage and you could be remarried. And so these two school of thoughts were prominent. Now, now, church, Hillel's school of thought is America's school of thought. In America today, you can get a divorce for almost any reason you want to. We have the term incompatibility to describe why we can get a divorce. It's called, and you've heard this phrase before, irreconcilable differences. That just means it wasn't convenient for me to stay. And so this is, this is, a, this is, a, this is a justifiable reason in our culture today to leave. We have a leaving culture in America today. Jesus is going to address this. So he's asked the question, why can we get divorced? Jesus, the authority on marriage because he came up with it, is about to tell us why we can get divorced or not. This is what he goes on to say. Before he gives us any kind of principles, he's going to give us vision. Okay, you ask the question, why should we get divorced or can we get divorced? Now let's talk about vision. Let's go higher than the question to explain God's intention from the beginning. Haven't you read, he said, or he he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female. And then in verse 5, and he said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother. Now stop, because this is important. Jesus has given us God's original intent for relationships. Notice what he says. He's given us generational marriage. He's given us the picture of how marriage should happen from one generation to the next. What does he say? He says that the way God intended was that a mom and a dad would be married for all of their existence here on earth, and then they would have a kid. And then that kid, once that kid or that son or daughter reached the age where they could marry, they would leave the home, and they would be united to their spouse, and they would stay together forever in, in, in terms of this world, this earth, and then they would have kids, and they would launch them from the home, right? Mom and dad stay together. They have kids. They launch them. They have kids. They launch them, but they're always together in marriage relationship. It's generational marriage that Jesus has in mind here. Right? So you leave your mom and dad, and then you're united to his wife, and then the two shall become one flesh. This is vision. This is God's intent for us to continue to stay married, have kids, and then let them get married and have kids. Verse number six. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, because that is God's vision, when God joins something together, man should not separate it. That is God's purpose and plan for marriage. Now, the Pharisees think they have Jesus trapped. Side note, you cannot trap God. There's no such thing as putting Jesus in a corner that he can't get out of. Not possible. 
So, but they try, right? Verse number seven, they go on to say this. <laughs> Why then? They asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? See, Jesus, here's your problem now. Now you said that God joins together and man cannot separate, but Moses, who received commands from God, gave people permission to divorce. Now you're in an impossible situation. You said we shouldn't divorce. Moses said we should. Now you can't win. Aha. But it's Jesus. Here's what he says. Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. Wow. You think Moses gave you permission to divorce because God was okay with divorce? Nah. He did this because your hearts are not surrendered. The reason why people get divorced is not because there's some legal system that's binding in the old covenant that allows for divorce. The reason why God gave this concession at all is because our hearts are in the wrong place. It's the only reason divorce was, it was permissible at all in the old covenant. No, 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 my mammy, you don't understand. No, no, no. That's a little, a little overboard. You don't, you don't understand what I've been through. See, my husband is completely absent in the home. Do you know that? He goes on trips and he's gone or he loves his job like you cannot believe. He doesn't spend a second with me. He comes home, he sits in his chair, all he does is watch TV. He doesn't mess with the kids, he doesn't play with the kids. He goes to work, he comes home. He is non-existent in the relationship. You tell me I have to stay with someone like that? I'm fine with divorcing someone like that. It's a heart problem. You don't know my wife. I can't even stand to live in the house with her. All she does is point out every single thing I've ever done wrong in my life, and she holds it over my head, and she continues to tell me how I have to change. She doesn't meet any of my needs. She's not there in the bedroom. She's not there at all, right? You think I have to live with someone like that? Let me tell you what's going on. Something going on in your heart. It's wrong. It wasn't that way from the beginning, Jesus said. That's not God's vision and original intent. Now, he gives this vision... He corrects the Pharisees in front of large crowds. I love it. And then he gives us a principle. Verse number nine. I tell you, now stop. I'm going to skip the white. Because the white part of this verse that I've given you needs to apply in just a moment. But let me give you the principle without any of the exceptions for a moment so that we understand what Jesus lays down. Now, Jesus is giving us a law here. I know in Christianity, I know in Christianity, we embrace grace and relationship. I got it. I get it that we are not under law, but under grace. I get all that, but Jesus gives us a principle, all right? I'm going to call it principle, but it's a law. It's how we ought to operate in our lives. What does he say? I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery. If you divorce your wife and you marry another woman, it is called adultery. It is sinful and it should not be done. That is Jesus' principle that governs the church, the body of Christ. It governs creation, for he is our creator. You're telling me that Jesus said I have to live with that person? Remember, I don't love them or like them. Yep. That's exactly what he said. You're telling me when they don't meet my needs, I have to stay with them? Yep. That's exactly 
what Jesus says. I mean, he couldn't have known all the stuff that was going to come along. He's in the first century. All this technology and what my husband does or what my wife does and all that technology, you don't understand what it's doing to my marriage. No, you stay. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? He's instituting a staying culture in the midst of a leaving culture. It's powerful. Culture. Cultural change. Now, I know you're eager for this because everyone wants their way out. This is true except for marital unfaithfulness. Now, I love the New International 84 edition. It's my favorite one to read because I grew up on it, and I know I'm getting stuck in that. That's what you do when you get older. You get stuck in your ways. I think the NIV could have done a better job translating marital unfaithfulness. The Greek word is pornea. It's where we get our word pornography from. Pornea is actually a pretty wide word here, and so it's tough for us to nail down exactly what Jesus was saying with this exception. The general translation is sexual sin, sexual immorality. More specifically, translators have chosen to use, wor- use words like adultery, which would be applicable with, with the word pornea. But pornea can mean prostitution or for, uh, uh, fornication or, or adultery or any kind of sexual sin. It's a wide-ranging word. But what, what Jesus understands is, is inside the marriage relationship, there is a difference between all the other sins that man or woman commits and the sin of pornea or sexual sin. Paul also gives us some insight, doesn't he, in 1 Corinthians. And he says, every other sin a man commits is outside of his body. But when a man sins sexually, he sins against his own body. So I, I, I understand here Jesus is giving us this exception of pornea or sexual sin because it is different in the way it works itself out in relationships. It's not different in terms of my separation from God but different in the practical working out of how it affects relationships. So only in the case of pernia or sexual sin does Jesus allow for divorce. Are there others? No. No. Now, Paul comes along later and under the inspiration of of the Spirit gives us another exception clause When he says that if you're in a marriage relationship and you're married to someone who's not a Christ follower and they should choose to leave you, you are not bound to that relationship. You are free to remarry. Because God God is not going to force his will on people and sometimes people will to to separate. But that is talking about a married man, a, a, a married couple where one is a believer and one is not. It's not talking about two people who are Christ followers. By the way, Singles. That's why scripture says don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. There is a covenant involved in marriage and you should marry someone who is a Christ follower with you. Does Jesus give any other exception? No. I know some of you are thinking maybe in your mind right now, what about abuse? I understand that that is a very difficult topic to cover. The Bible is absolutely silent when it comes to the idea of abuse. And I would say God is just and he is gracious. And in those situations, I think that we can have some good conversations about it. There's a wide ranging view inside the church about abuse. I'm just telling the Bible is silent on it. It doesn't speak to it. (laughs) Now, if this has offended you today, that's okay. Because it offended everyone in the first century, including Jesus' disciples. Do you know how I know that? Look in verse 10. (laughs) Then the disciples said, well, if that's the situation between a husband and a wife, is it better not to marry? Yep. (laughs) 
Paul says this in 1 Corinthians as well. He said, it is better not to marry. Do you know why? Because Paul recognizes that when you get married, you're in for trouble. Interesting time for an amen. That was good. It's true. You get married, there's trouble attached to it. You live with someone 24-7. You commit in that relationship. There's going to be challenges, man. It's difficult to be married and to stay married. It takes a special kind of commitment for that relationship to last till death. That's why Jesus said, there's one reason you can leave. But I want you to hear me this morning, church. Just because Jesus gives an exception statement in this does not mean you have to take it. Just because there is sexual sin does not mandate that you divorce. How can Jesus say this? Because Jesus understands that the marriage relationship is unique among all relationships on the earth. And a marriage relationship is based on something that solidifies the relationship in spite of the circumstances. I mentioned to you already that, that we live in a culture of a marriage of convenience. That if you're not living up to some, you know, some expectations that I had for you that, that, that I can just, just check out a relationship and irreconcilable differences and we're done. I would say to you that, 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 uh, that there's another kind of relationship uh, philosophy that many of us have. And I think it's a real problem even within the church today. Where we believe the marriage is a contract. Where we say, okay, here's the deal. I'm coming to you, you're coming to me. Here are the specific things, or even general things, that you're going to do. And here are the things that I'm going to do. And so long as you fulfill your end of the bargain, I'll fulfill my end of the bargain. But if you stop fulfilling your end of the bargain, then I am free to leave because we had this contract one with another. I'm not going to leave for any reason. I've laid out for the reasons why I'm going to stay. And if you don't meet them, I'm going to leave. That is not the basis of marriage, according to Scripture. Marriage is based on a covenant. What is the difference between a covenant and a contract? A contract says, these are the conditions that you meet, and then I'll stay. A covenant says, these are the conditions I'm giving to you, or I'm meeting, no matter what. On your wedding day, wasn't it amazing? Wasn't this a good wedding, by the way? That's what a contract looks like. Weren't you offended when you heard, as long as you stay skinny? But it was hilarious. On your wedding day, your spouse looked at you, and what did the, what did the pastor say? Made him commit, made you commit to something, right? I've done hundreds of weddings at this point. I've actually memorized the entire wedding ceremony, because I've done it so many times. I don't need notes anymore. I just memorize it, just say it. And the reason why I memorize it is because these words are true every single time. Think about this. I ask couples to promise to love and cherish, to honor and sustain in sickness and in health, in poverty and in wealth, in the good that may lighten your ways and the bad that may darken your ways, and to be true to you alone until death you part. You promise. That's what I ask them to do. Did you hear that? I'm saying to you, I'm going to love you and cherish you and honor you, whether you're sick or I'm sick, whether we're both healthy, whether we're rich or poor, whatever happens in the good days that we can celebrate and the bad days that darken our entire existence, every single moment I'm staying faithful to you until you or I die. Right? <laughs> for better or for better. 
That didn't work. In sickness, nah, as long as you're healthy. Mm-mm. And then what happens? On the other side of this whole equation, there is your spouse standing there, and they say the same thing to you, commit to the same exact thing. That is a covenant that says, I'm giving to you no matter what happens on your end. I'm holding up my end of the deal because I'm choosing to be committed in covenant relationship with you. That is biblical marriage. And it is so hard to do. I'll tell you what happens in marriage. What happens in marriage is over the course of time, you drift away slowly or fall apart quickly depending on the circumstances. What happens is, is that inside of a marriage relationship, there tends to be distance that's created. And what happens in those moments, if you're not careful, is you can begin to really ponder the idea of divorce. So, here's what I'm going to ask, ask, ask us to consider. Since Jesus sets the bar so high on marriage, how do I stay? How do I stay? Okay, let me say this and I'll give you the answer. If you're here today and you've been through divorce and you heard this message so far, my hope would not be that you feel somehow condemned or somehow you're reliving all the regrets of your past. God is gracious and he forgives us and he moves us on and he heals us. But I hope all of us in the room, even if you've been through divorce, all of us together collectively would elevate marriage to the status that God has called us to. Would you do that with me? It's worth staying. So how do I do it? Let's get practical for the next couple of minutes. First of all, I would say this. If I'm going to stay, I've got to get divorce out of my mind. This is how it works in your life and in mine. When things start drifting apart, when it starts getting difficult in our relationship, one of the things that happens is we begin to say things like this. Did I marry the right person? Gosh, I must have made a mistake. Oh, man, I thought we were going to be together, but it's just incompatible, man. They don't have a hobby that I like. They don't have a passion, like that I like. We're on two different planets. <laughs> not sure I made a good decision. And then that turns into, oh, man, I don't know if I can stay. You know, a question I get asked quite a bit as the pastor of this church is, hey, Matt, um, what are the reasons that I could get a divorce You know what they're asking? I want out. Will you give me permission to leave? I've never once recommended anyone get a divorce. Not one time in the hundreds of couples that I've counseled with and married. And married. I've never recommended divorce ever. Right? Because it really never fixes anything completely. It's never really the solution that we think it is. Right? But what happens is we begin to not just think about it, we begin to meditate on it, and when we meditate on divorce, we begin to think about it as the best option, and then eventually the only option, and then eventually we give up on the relationship. Right? And I'm just saying to you today that the best thing you can do if you're going to have a no, no matter what kind of relationship that lasts and endures in this covenant-keeping relationship called marriage is that we just empty out our minds of divorce. It's not an option. It's not an option. If we start there, things change. Do you know what will happen to you when you give up on the idea of I'm divorcing? You will start realizing I'm stuck with you. 
And if we're going to be stuck together, we might as well make it work. We might as well do whatever it takes to fix this so that we stay in this relationship. I've told my wife this. She will testify to this. I told her, I'm never divorcing you. You're stuck with me. What an honor. (laughs) You're stuck with me. I don't care. I'm not leaving. I'm staying with you. Now, changes everything. If I know she's with me and I'm with her for the rest of our existence, we're going to have to do some work. I don't want to be miserable the rest of my life. I don't want to be unhappy. I don't want to be frustrated. I want to do what it takes to make the investment so the relationship works. When you give yourself over to the mindset of divorce, you sabotage the relationship at that very moment because you stop investing and you stop pouring into the relationship what needs to be poured into the relationship. Man, get it out of your mind. It's not an option for you. Second, speak resurrection into your marriage relationship. What does that look like? Do you know that one of the great tenets of the Christian faith is that Jesus rose from the dead? He is alive. That is, that God, through the Spirit, brought life from death. If God can raise a dead man to life, he can resurrect a dead marriage to life as well. When you get divorce out of your mind and you start speaking into the relationship, I'm staying with you and God's going to do a work of healing in us. I know we're broken. I know you're broken. So am I. I know this is dysfunctional. This is messed up, but we're staying together. And I believe God can take us on a journey towards healing. It breathes life into the relationship just by you speaking that into, into the relationship. And God, through that, can resurrect all that has been dead and dying the whole time, my friend. He can bring life from death. He's been doing it over and over and over again. And I'm going to tell you here today, God has resurrected marriages that looked far from possible. He has resurrected it time and time again, and he can do it for your relationship as well. It is not a circumstance issue, as Jesus rightly says. It's a heart issue. Husband, look at your wife. Say to her, I'm believing God's best for our marriage relationship. I know it's been difficult in, this, in the past, but this year I'm believing that God's going to do a work this year in our relationship. And pray over your wife. Call her name out. Call your marriage out. Call your family out before the Father. And see God turn it around. Wife, look at your husband and say, hey, I am I, committed. I am for this, and I believe God's going to do something. And wife, you pray over your husband as well. You call his name out. And ask God for his healing power and grace for your relationship. Speak. Resurrection into your marriage. Lastly, move first. Let me tell you how relationships work. <clears throat> Happens to all of us at some point. When we, be, we, we, when we begin to drift apart, don't try this at home, I do it for a living. When we begin to drift apart, <clears throat> what happens in our relationships is we start, we start our, our, our countenance changes. So in healthy relationships, we're leaning in. But in broken relationships, we start doing this. Hmm. Well, you start treating me right, then I'll try. But until you start getting these things figured out and fixed, I'm going to stay over here. You ever done that before? You know me, my needs, I know me, your needs backed away, in a corner, staring at each other. You know what happens in some relationships? We do this. You exist over there, I'll exist over here. We'll just exist. 
How's that working out for you? Doesn't. Someone's going to have to move first. Fellas, you're the husband and you're the leader. God has given you spiritual authority in your home. You move first. You take the step toward your wife that needs to be taken. All right? Guys, you need some help. So I'm going to give you some help. I'm going to give you two specific, actually, I'm going to give you two general statements about your wife as you consider moving forward. Let's answer the question. What does she need? Here's what she needs. She needs to feel valued, and she needs to feel secure. Now, now stop, stop, stop. Ladies, I'm going to get specific in just a minute. If this is not true about you, and I totally missed you, I'm not a girl, so I don't know for sure, if this is not true, you look at your husband on the way home and say, Matt has no idea what he's talking about. This is what I need from you. Is that fair? You have full permission. He's clueless. He has no idea. I know this is what I need. Okay? Just say it. He needs to know your specifics. Guys, how does a wife feel valued? One of the ways a wife feels valued is by you taking her out on a date and you taking priority in terms of time by being with her when you're home and being present in the home, going on vacation, as I said, going on a date, but be present when you are with her, not totally connected to everything else in your world. You have the ability to, 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 uh, to focus so much on career and ambition, which are great, great things, at the expense of the priority of your relationship with your wife. She needs to know she is the top priority relationship in your, in, in, in your life. Another thing that you can do, you can go home, and when you walk through the door, you can go, ho- go over, and you can give her a big hug and kiss her square on the lips, and you say to her, what can I do? I'm home, and I'm yours. What do you need me to do? Right. Yesterday, my wife went to a, uh, a conference, and, actually Friday and Saturday she did, and so she was gone most of the day Saturday, and I had the kids at the house by myself. I had my three kids plus two others over at our house. With all those kids, no one took a nap. I had all the kids. I did the dishes. I folded the laundry. I hung it up. I matched the socks. That's an achievement in and of itself. Come on. That's a big deal. I did the dishes. I wiped bottoms. I broke up fights. Also, my wife could be away. And you would say, you did that because you're preaching this message today. You had to. That's not true. I did it because I want to know. I want her to know. She's valuable to me, and I want to help. To feel secure, she needs to know that there's no one else on the planet that you'd rather be with than her. And there's a lot of different ways that you can show her, but one of the ways that you can show her is to be faithful to her. To not have eyes that roam towards others, but to be focused on her. Ladies, your husband's going to move first, but just in case he doesn't, you move. If he moves first, you better move. But if he doesn't, you move first. What does he need? You ready? To be respected and to have sex. (laughs) Now, I don't know women, but I do know men, and I'm right on this. Every guy needs to be respected in his home. 
Ladies, do you know that when your husband goes to work, that everyone around him honors him and respects him for what he achieves and what he does? When he gets home, oftentimes he loses the ability to be respected because there are a thousand things going on. You can do yourself a huge favor by honoring him the moment he steps in the door. You can celebrate him and champion him before your kids, before your friends, at your church, in the community. You can speak highly of him. And when you are talking with him, you can speak life into him about all that he does. Thank you for the way you provide for our family. I'm believing God's best for you. I'm excited to see all that's coming up on the horizon for you and your career. Speak life into him. Respect him because he's getting it everywhere else in his world. You speak into him and he will come alive like you have never seen before. On Facebook, post, I married the best man on the planet. You don't have to lie and say he's the best looking. I already got that covered, all right? You don't have to lie. But you put it, I married the best man. What if I don't feel that way? You tell him. Even if the feelings aren't all there yet. Feelings follow behavior and action. Celebrate your husband. And have sex with him. Engaged, meaningful sex. Not obligatory because you have to. But because you want to honor him and value him as well. Right? How often? About every three days. That's the cycle of a man's life. About every three days. Twice a week. Guys, I may be wrong on that, so if it's less or more, you go home and have that conversation with your wife, all right? But I'm telling you, it needs to happen regularly in your relationship. Please understand this. A husband believes that his wife does not love him, oftentimes connected to how engaged he is in the bedroom. It may not be true about how you feel, but it is, it is the way your husband is processing information in your relationship, all right? Move first. Now, I want us to do this today. I want to stop for a moment and just bow our heads and close our eyes. Hey, this is Pastor Matt Blair. Thank you so much for taking time to check out our podcast today at solacechurch.com. You know, we realize that it's possible as you listen to this message today that God may have spoken to your heart about something. So if you made any kind of spiritual decision, we would love to know about that. You can email us at info at and let us know what happened in your life today. Once again, thank you so much for taking time to check out this podcast.